You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Warren Buffett, in my opinion, is the ultimate insider. His fa- father was a, a, a congressman. He knows, you know, the he knows the ins and outs of of, of DC better than anybody out there, and, and he's benefited throughout his whole career. So, so you don't venerate him the way some people do, then, with that comment, or? No, I don't. I'm Bill Powers. It's Money Stock Education, and speaking today with Trader Nick Santiago, my friend over at InTheMoneyStocks.com, for our monthly check-in. Nick, welcome back onto the show and in the news and on Twitter. I've seen a lot recently that Michael Burry is uh, shorting the Nasdaq and the S&P and so forth with some put options. Uh, what's your take on this? I don't know. I, I really don't track Michael Burry too much. I get asked that question a lot. In fact, I actually put his 13F filing on my Twitter feed uh, yesterday or the day before. So I, I do get asked this question a lot, but he's not a market timer, as you know. I know he comes from the big short fame. Um, you know, that that was a pain trade for him before he made his fortune. So, you know, again, he's not a market timer, but he has a good read on the markets. And I like if he is short, I like that position right now. I think um, the month of August is a little bit challenging because we've got we have light volume historically out here this month, hence the term summer doldrums. But um, as we get into September and October, I, I think the markets are going lower. So I, I kind of like it if he is short right now. I think that he's got a good read on it at this time. So if the markets are less liquid, does that create more opportunities or more risks for you as a trader? Well, anytime you have liquidity come out of the system, it's going to favor the downside. The downside is always much quicker. Hence the term, the markets take the elevator down and the stairs up. Now, we all know since March of, March 13th, in fact, when we had the uh, financial crisis, the markets pretty much went straight up really throughout the, uh, I think we had about a, a sideways move for about six weeks, but we had a big, big March low and then the markets went higher. That was simply done on the back of liquidity being provided to the banks, um, not only here in the US, but also globally around the world because we know that Credit Suisse um, got taken under by UBS and we know that the Fed and the other central banks around the world also provided liquidity for each other. So even though they're not calling it the so-called quantitative easing, it's probably more than a quantitative easing going on. And that's what, you know, inflated the markets. But anytime you inflate asset prices, it comes with a price and it's called inflation. And we have wars going on now, not only in Russia, but also in Africa. And those are proxy wars and between the US and Russia, and that's inflationary. And if you have if you get conflict between China and Taiwan, that is going to be extremely inflationary because we import so many goods from China and Taiwan. So just think about if that slowed down or stopped, that would be very, very problematic and you'd see inflation probably go through the roof. Now that's probably going to come down the pipeline as we approach 2024. So there are a lot of headwinds out here right now, and that's just to name a few. There are many others. Nick, with the 13F uh, quarterly filings, like a Michael Burry or a Warren Buffett does some for Berkshire Hathaway, do you study those and trade around the psychology that and then the market that those filings create? I, I look at them because I just like to see, um, because when those come out, the crowd is going to follow them. I will never follow them. I will always look at the stock chart. And um, I was a little bit surprised to see Warren Buffett buy home builders here. But obviously, he's buying them at extreme highs, so he knows something is going on, right? This this is the ultimate, Warren Buffett, in my opinion, is the ultimate insider. His fa- father was a, 
a, a congressman. He knows, you know, the he knows the ins and outs of of, of DC better than anybody out there, and and he's benefited throughout his whole career. So, so you don't venerate him the way some people do, then, with that comment, or no, I don't, I don't. I, I remember just not even that long ago, I was in a put option on Ally Financial, and it came out, and uh, you know, he he had bought it, and the 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 stock went up to thirty seven dollars, and I told my members short more. Why puts more because it's going down and the charts don't lie. He's not a market timer. He's obviously in it for some other reason. And ultimately, I was correct and he was wrong. So, you know, I'm not looking to get into war with these people or to battle them, but they're not smarter than the charts. They don't know more than the charts. And we just have to read the charts correctly. And sometimes I'll make mistakes and read them wrong. It's a very humbling business. But, um, you know, these guys are all insiders, right? They all know, they all get deals and they know what's coming around the pipeline. They're greasing politicians from every end. So, you know, they, they're very much tied into what's going on in the world. And and that's that's how they make their money. You know, I don't make my money like that. I make it with the charts. Okay. So, Nick, if you're having coffee with Buffett and you say, Buffett, I study the charts. And he says, Santiago, I create the charts. What do you say? I say, I think you do create the charts because you are the guy that has the inside information. Just like these politicians that, you know, go into Congress for four years with less than $5,000 in their bank account come out multimillionaires. How did they do it? They didn't They didn't look at a chart, I assure you that much. They knew who was getting that contract. They knew who was getting that contract. So that, that's just what makes the world go round. I don't get angry at it. It's just the way it is. I'm not one of them. And with the quarterly filings, when they come out, you know, six weeks after uh, the last day in the quarter, they could have already sold the stock that everybody or yeah. the put option that everybody's getting so excited about, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And and I remember last time, Michael Burry, I remember the, the big uproar. He was saying, uh, had a tweet out there, sell everything or something like that. And then he said, you know, took it down. He said, I was wrong, you know, and that was the, the rally. So don't follow these guys. Just follow the charts and let the charts tell you what to do. You're not going to be right with the charts either 100% of the time, but you'll be right a lot more than you're wrong. And with good money management, that's the name of the game, you know? So I always tell everybody, don't listen to these guys. You know, you're not in that club, like the old uh, George Carlin skit. You know, you're not one of them. And, uh, you know, that they just watch the charts. That's the best you That's the best you could do is just follow the charts. One chart that uh, me and a lot of my listeners pay attention to is the, the volume in the TSXV, the T- Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. And it's at lows, multi, multi, multi-year lows. Nick, when you see the small caps at such small volume, what does this mean to you as a trader? Yeah, you want to be, you know, it, it just tells you that there's there's no interest in that group right now. And you got to be very, very careful. Nobody's excited about that area right now. And that's that's the one thing I follow too is the volume because light volume markets generally will, will sustain big cap equities. It'll, it'll help the markets float. But when you're trading something like the Toronto Venture, and you have light, light volume like that, there's there's really no excitement in those equities. And there's not going to be any excitement until the bigger equities, because it's very commodity rich. Um, until those those start to move, then you'll see the venture, you know, take off. But when you have light volume like that, you got to keep an eye out for it because when the big guys start to go, uh, meaning the bigger stocks out there and they start to move, the little guys aren't going to be far behind. So um, you know, you just keep an eye on the chart. You let the chart show you what's going on. And when it starts to percolate, that's when you get involved. But in the meantime, you know, it, it's probably a market that's not going to do a whole lot for now. Second half of this year, do you expect to see a tech to energy rotation? 
I'm not so sure. You know, right now we've had a really good run in energy again recently. Uh, oil got up to $85. That was my target. If it closed above 75, I told my members it would go to 85. It got to 84, 89. A lot of the energy stocks still have some more upside in the near term, but um, they're going to peter out at some point because they're just going to get too extended. Um, but look at the runs you've had in some of the refineries. Look at the run that you've had in even some of these integrateds recently. Um, and they still look pretty good on the charts. And and the biggest one of them all has been oil services. If you look at the OIH, which is oil services ETF, this has had the biggest run. This is going to go to 260, which is even higher than where it is now. So, um, you know, they when, when they have such big runs like that, I'm kind of in the camp that, you know, the run could last a little bit longer Then the money's going to rotate out of there because everybody is going to come late to the party. You know, that's kind of the way it works. So I would just be careful um, you know, making that broad statement or painting that brush that money is going to go from, you know, uh, tech to energy. You know, it could be the other way around or it could go uh, somewhere else to consumer goods. That's a sector or an industry group that is starting to interest me. You know, the Colgates of the world, the Kimberly Clarks, you know, the boring stuff, the non-sexy stuff, the stuff that nobody pays attention to. But I, you know, I've got levels for all of those. Those are the stocks I'm looking to uh, pursue or can get into soon. Procter and Gamble, because you go in and out of that stock too, right? I I do, but Procter has been you know one that I would have to wait for a lower price point. But Kimberly Clark is setting up, you know that's Colgate is setting up, um, possibly Kraft Heinz, which I'm not so sure. I don't love that one. I was just in that with an option recently, but you know you're going to see a lot of these stocks in that group. Church and Dwight might be another one, you know. So there's going to be a bunch of them in there. And, um, you know, those are companies that probably have pricing power no matter what, because you're not giving up your razor blades, you're not giving up your toilet paper. And that's that's the way it goes. With the recent move in oil, have you adjusted uh, the bottom that you think it's going to hit before it goes to an all-time high? You mentioned $50 oil, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So right now we're at a median term top for oil. I think, you know, around that 85 level, maybe it goes to 85.50. Any, anything can change if you get some kind of a geopolitical event. But that was all I saw if it closed above 75. So I have my group um, kind of neutral right now because this Friday is options expiration for the month of August. So we'll get a lot of, you know, game playing, a lot of whipsaw, a lot of institutional game playing this week. So we don't want to make too much out of it. But um, if oil starts to break down, you know, it's got to take out the May pivot in order to get to 50. But if it gets to 50, it's, it's going to be the trade of the decade. So that, in my opinion, that's, you know, but it has a lot of ifs before it gets there. So we'll see how it plays out right now. You know, you're at uh, 83 or something like that. It's not even close. So you got to take out that May pivot low in order to get to 50. Okay. So if oil at 50 is a trade of the decade, we've talked in the past, if gold hits that 1550-ish area, that would that be a generational trade? Would, I think, or, I so think it will be. I think. So, I so think that would be a better where, trade than even the oil trade if oil uh, gets to 50. Well, I think all these commodities are going to go into a boom. So I think we're in the infancy here, like the, the, the very, very start of a commodity super surge. And why I say that is um, when throughout history, and you could go back to Roman times and, and look at this stuff yourself, if you could find some good books in a library. Um, but anytime people have lost faith in, in, in government or faith in you know your system, they go right to hard assets. They want stuff that the old saying is that you can drop on your toe and you're going to get a bruise. 
So they want hard assets. People are going to want stuff that they can physically, tangibly hold. And, you know, you can't think of something better than gold and silver. Can't think of something better than crude oil. Can't see, think of something better than maybe lumber. You know, it's always going to be a hard asset. And that's where I think the money is going to rotate into. And, uh, and copper is another one. I, you know, copper has got another fall to go. But, you know, these things are all set at dipping them to flip them. And that's how that's how it's going to work. And, you you know, they're going to be um, incredible trades. These going to be very reminiscent and uh, similar of what happened in 2020. Right. Nobody liked copper in 2020. We were buying it up, scooping it up left and right and making, you know, small fortunes off of it. Nobody liked gold or, or uh, silver back then. And we were scooping it up, you know, at that point in time. So it's going to be very reminiscent of, of 2020 when all that money was just injected into the system. So, you know, again, um, these are trades that are not pers- uh, perfect right now. They're not really ready yet, but they're they're setting up. The setups are coming in. Nick, I'm learning more about farming. Uh, last year, I bought a small farm that I'm working with a local farmer. So I learn a lot from him. He's in his 60s. So I like to have conversations. And one of the things that he taught me was that there's not necessarily a correlation between the price of diesel that he has to pay for all of his massive equipment and what he gets paid for the commodity that he produces from the land. Have you done any correlation studies like between the price of oil and the price of grains or anything like that? I haven't. And I'll tell you why, Bill, because for me, I'm truly a chartist. So no, nothing out there makes sense. And the market is always so forward looking. You know, it looks sometimes six, nine months, 12 months into the future. It never looks in the back or the rearview mirror. So, you know, for me, it's always been about the chart and I'm long wheat right now. I own wheat right now. And I've, I've been in this trade before. It was one of my best swing trades this year and I'm back in it now. So, you know, I got to go with the charts. I don't really worry about anything else um, out there. I just go with, I know where the money flow is. And if the institutions are sitting there or close by, that's when I get in because they're the guys that move mar- markets. It, it's it's not Nick Santiago with with my accounts. It, it's not anybody else. It's, it's the institutional crowd that moves markets. And they're always, always forward looking six, nine, 12 months out. Don't the institutions need retail too for liquidity though? Isn't there kind of like a balance between institutions and retail? Well, there there is, you know, and there are going to be retail guys that get in there, but it, it's never the retail crowd that moves markets. I'll give you a perfect example of this. So you remember when the mean the meme stocks were AMC so and, AMC yeah. and the other one was uh, uh, GameStop. Yep. So you know, I, I I tweeted out one time. I was like, you know, the institutions are really moving this, and they were no, no, no. It's the Reddit board. Well, who do you think is looking at these Reddit boards, right? It's the institution. So this guy, Shamat Palapataya, gets on CNBC and he's saying, hey, I saw this and, you know, I made whatever, a million dollars in two days because, uh, you know, this is this is a hot little market right here. We can get these guys to push it. I mean, basically, told he's a big institution. He basically said, well, my fund, I just went in there and, you know, picked it up and rode that thing all the way up to whatever the price was, some ridiculous number. But you can see it's always institutions, you know? So just because, you know, it's on a Reddit board doesn't mean that the institutions aren't looking at that. They're, they're certainly looking at it. And the only way I could ever follow that stuff is by looking at the charts. I can't make heads or tails any, any other way. But the little guy, if he plays it right, can still make money with that. Because as I've said to you, and even on this show, Absolutely. I have an unnamed friend that made multiple seven figures in a week off of AMC and GameStop yes. with options. Without- Without a doubt, without a doubt. And that's 
the beauty of it. If you could read the charts too, you're going to be one step ahead because when everybody's in there pushing it up, you could be selling into that strength. And that's that's the really good part about it, you know? So um, again, you know, I have a friend, uh, my painter, in fact, he made $100,000 on one of these vaccine offshoots that was small cap and in one day. He said, and he came over, he showed me, look at this, I made over 100K in one day. I was so happy for Your him. Your painter's giving you stock tips now? <laughs> yeah, he came, over, he came over to show me and he could, and he was like, look at this. It was like a uh, Vax something, Vax T or whatever. He goes, you ever trade this? I said, absolutely not. I've never trade. I'll never trade that stock. It's but just not something that I would trade. You Nick, know, every, every time I bring a stock up to you though, if I tell you I invest, then you look at the chart and then you give me your analysis, right? Did you give yeah. him your analysis, say, watch for this sell point? No, but you know what he did that was remarkable? He goes, when everybody got in it, I knew I had to get out. Yeah. And the thing ran up whatever, some ridiculous number. I don't know if it was $30 or $60 in a day or whatever it was, made over $100,000. I was like, you did everything perfect. I couldn't even give you any advice. So that yeah. was good to see. And, you know, I probably would have sold earlier than him. I probably would have, I would have been out of that thing, you know, with my, with my immediately 15% bill, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Here Nick, he made, had, you know hundreds. And then I had a friend who did good in biotech or a friend of a friend, I should say. And because of the tax situation, he donated a half a million dollars worth of stock to his church. And so the church had a half a million dollars worth of this little biotech stock that they didn't know what to do with, Nick. And by the time they sold it, it was a small fraction of the half million dollars, which it was at the point that it was donated. So a lot of these things, you really got to be on top of it, don't you, when they run out? Oh, absolutely. All these small caps or micro caps, that's what they're going to do. They're going to get somebody in there to get people excited. And then when they squeeze or they get a big movement, because you'll notice a lot of those stocks don't trade any real volume. All of a sudden, then they go to like 30 million or 50 million or 100 million shares in one day. You got to sell into that excitement. Otherwise, you'll be dead in the water because they're going to come right back down, right back to where they were or lower than where they took off. Hmm. So in the last 30 days, best and worst trades, we always ask you this. Um, the best is going to be a put option I had on One West Marine. And I made 81%, probably should have made you know 200%. But the market makers in these thin stocks, they're not so favorable to us traders out here. So that was the best one. That was 81%. Um, the worst trade right now, um, you know, I just recently had a 100% loser in my options program. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that, that's obviously the worst. As a swing trade, though, no, we've been pretty efficient. So I don't think we've had any uh, any bad ones there. So, so what was the loser? Can you name it? Or you don't want to name it? Oh, I'm just trying to think what it is. Okay. <laughs> no. You're, you're, you're not withholding it. You just don't remember that no, happens just, to all yeah, of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just know I have 100% loser on there. You know, I what was the what was the analysis going into the the marine stock? Why do you oh, short it? Okay, so um, that stock, if you look at it, it went from twenty five dollars to thirty five dollars, and they pushed it up to thirty seven, and it was just going into just a big distribution level. So I said, you know what, this is a perfect spot to buy put options. And the stock came out with earnings and just absolutely imploded by, I think it was, you know, down like $10, $12 that day, you know? So it was just, uh, that's why I said I should have probably made a lot more because when I bought put options, the stock was 36 and change, never really went higher than 37 or 38, then went down to, you know, 25. 
So I really should have probably made more, but the market makers sometimes on these things, they're not so favorable. It wasn't a, a very liquid name, but it's a stock. I'm going to probably do it again, the same but, play. I've done but, it twice already. But as a trader, you don't beat yourself up over the woulda, coulda, shoulda, because you can't even remember your 100% loss from the last yeah, month. I, I, I don't even know. As a trader, it's just we move on to the next one and that'll that'll be it. If that wasn't my last winner there, I wouldn't even remember that probably. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Nick, your website is inthemoneystocks.com. Always appreciate checking in with you. So we'll talk to you in about 30 days. Uh, it's always great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.